0: Cool air, you ask me to explain why I'm so afraid of a draught of cold air, why I shiver more than others upon entering a cold room and seem nauseated and repelled when a chill of evening creeps through the heat of a mid-autumn day. There are those who say I respond to cold as others do to a bad odor, and I am the last to deny the impression." What I will do is to relate the most horrible circumstance I have ever encountered, and leave it to you to judge whether or not this forms a suitable explanation of my particularity. It was a mistake to fancy that horror is associated inextricably with darkness, silence, and solitude. I found it in the glare of a mid-afternoon, in the clangor of a metropolis, and in the teeming midst of a shabby and commonplace rooming house, with a prosaic landlady and two stalwart men by my side. In the spring of 1923, I secured some dreary and unprofitable magazine work in the city of New York, and unable to pay any substantial rent, began drifting from one cheap boarding establishment to another, in search of a room that might combine the qualities of decent cleanliness and durable furnishings, and very reasonable price. It soon developed that I only had a choice between different evils, but after a time, I came upon a house in West 14th Street, which disgusted me the least in the others I've sampled. The place was a four-story mansion of brownstone, dating apparently from the late 40s and fitted with woodwork and marble whose stained and sullied splendor argue a descent from High levels of tasteful opulence. In the rooms, large and lofty, and decorated with impossible paper, in ridiculously ornate stucco cornices. There lingered a depressing mustiness, and a hint of obscure cookery. But the floors were clean, the linen was tolerably regular, and the hot water was not too often cold or turned off. So that I came to regard it at least a bearable place to hibernate till one might really live again. The landlady, a slatterly, almost bearded Spanish woman named Herrero, did not annoy me with gossip or criticisms of late burning electric lights on my third floor front hall window, and my fellow lodgers were quiet and uncommunicative, as one might desire. Being mostly Spaniard, a little above the coarsest and crudest grade, Only the din of streetcars in the thoroughfare below proved a serious annoyance. I had been there for about three weeks when the first odd incident occurred. One evening, around eight, I heard a spattering on the floor and became suddenly aware that I had been smelling the pungent odor of ammonia for some time. Looking about, I saw that the ceiling was wet and dripping. The soaking apparently proceeded from the side towards the street. Anxious to stop the matter, At its source. I hastened to the basement to tell the landlady and was assured by her that the trouble would be quickly set right. Dr. Munoz, she cried as she rushed upstairs ahead of me in a thick Spanish accent. He has special chemicals. He is too sick for doctor himself. Sicker and sicker all the time, but he will not have no other for help. He is very queer in his sickness. All day he takes funny smelling baths and he cannot get excited or warm. All his own housework he do. His little room full of bottles and machines and he does not work as doctor. But he was great once. My father in Barcelona have heard of him and only just now fixed an arm of a plumber that got hurt of sudden. He never goes out only on roof. And my boy Esteban brings him his food and laundry and medicines and chemicals. The ammoniac that man uses to keep him cool. Mrs. Herrero disappears up the stairs to the fourth floor, and I return to my room. The ammonia ceased to drip, and as I cleaned up what was spilt and opened the window for air, I heard the landlady's heavy footsteps above me. Dr. Munoz. I had never heard, save for certain sounds of some gasoline-driven mechanism, but the step was soft and gentle. I wonder for a moment what the strange affliction of this man might be and whether he abstains, refusal of outside aid were not the result of a rather baseless eccentricity. There is, I reflected tritely, an infinite deal of pathos in the state of an imminent person who had come down in the world. I might never have known Dr. Munos had it not been for the heart attack that suddenly seized me one forenoon. As I sat writing in my room, physicians have told me of the dangers of those spells, and I knew that there was no time to be lost. So, remembering what the landlady had said about the invalid's help of the injured workman, I dragged myself upstairs and knocked feebly at the door above mine. My knock was answered, in good English, by a curious voice, some distance to the right, asking my name and business. And these things being stated, they came opening the door next to the one I sought. A rush of cool air greeted me, and through the day, and though the day was one of the hottest of late June, I shivered as I crossed the threshold into a large apartment whose rich and tasteful decoration surprised me in the nest of squalor and seediness. A folding couch now filled its diurnal roll of sofa, and... In the mahogany furniture, some hangings, old paintings, and mellow bookshelves all bespoke to a gentleman's study rather than a boarding house bedroom. I now saw that the room above mine, the little room of bottles and machines which Miss Herrero had mentioned, was merely the laboratory of the doctor. and his main living quarters lay in the spacious adjoining room whose convenient alcoves and large, Contiguous bathroom, permitted him to hide all the dressers and obtrusive utilitarian devices. Dr. Munoz most certainly was a man of birth, cultivation, and indiscrimination. The figure before me was short but quite exquisitely proportioned, and clad in somewhat formal dress, a perfect cut and fit, a highly bred face of masterful though not arrogant expression, was adorned by a Short gray full beard and an old fashioned pine shield, the full dark eyes and surmounted equiline nose, which gave a moorish touch to a physiognomy otherwise dominantly cultivarian. Thick, well trimmed hair that argued that the punctual call of a barber was parted gracefully above a high forehead. My picture was one of a striking intelligence and superior blood and breathing. Nevertheless, I saw Dr. Munoz. In that blast of cold air, I felt a repugnance which nothing in his aspect could justify, only his lividly inclined complexion and coldness of touch, which could afforded a physical basis for this feeling, even though those things should have been excusable considering the man's known embolism. It might be too have been the singular cold that alienated me, for such a chillness was abnormal, so, on a hot day, in the abnormal, always excites aversion, distrust, and fear. But repugnance was soon forgotten in admiration, for the strange physician's extreme skill at once became manifest, despite the ice coldness and shakiness of his bloodless-looking hands. He clearly understood my needs at a glance, and ministered to them with a master's deafness, the while reassuring me in finely modulated, "'though oddly hollow in tomberless voice "'that he was the bitterest of sworn enemies to death "'and had sunk his fortune and lost all his friends "'in a lifetime of bizarre experiment "'to its bafflement and extirpation. "'Something of the benevolent fanatic seemed to reside in him, "'and he rambled on almost garrulously "'as he sounded my chest and mixed a suitable draught of drugs.' fetched from the smaller laboratory room. Evidently, he found the society of a well-born man, a rare novelty in this dingy environment, and was moved to an unaccustomed speech as memories of better days surged over him. His voice, if queer, was at least soothing, and I could not even perceive that he breathed as affluent sentences rolled urbanely out, He sought to distract my mind from my own seizure by speaking of his theories and experiments. I remember his tactful consoling me about my weak heart by insisting that will and consciousness are stronger than organic life itself. So that if a bodily frame be originally healthy and carefully preserved, it may, through scientific enhancement of these qualities, retain a kind of nervous animation despite the most serious impairments, defects, or even absence, and the battery of specific organs. He might, he half-jestingly said, someday teach me how to live, or at least to possess some kind of conscious existence without any heart at all. For his part, he was afflicted with the complications of maladies requiring a very exact regimen, which included constant cold, and any marked rise in temperature, if prolonged, affect him fatally the frigidity of his environment some 55 or 56 degrees fahrenheit was maintained by an absorption system of ammonia cooling the gasoline engines of of whose pumps i often heard in my own room below relieved of my seizure in a marvelously short while i left the chivalry place a discipline and devotee of the gifted recluse after that, I paid him frequent overcoated calls, listened while he told of secret researches and almost ghastly results, and trembling a bit when I examined the unconventional and astonishingly ancient volumes on his shelves. I was eventually, may I add, almost cured of any disease for all time by his skillful ministrations, and it seems that he did not scorn the incantations of other medievalists since he believed these cryptid formulae contain rare physiological stimuli which might conceivably have singular effects on substance of a nervous system from which organic pulsations have fled. I was touched by his account of the aged Dr. Torres of Valencia, who had shared his earlier experiments with him through the great illness 18 years before, whence hence his present disorder proceeded. No sooner than the venerable practitioner, save his colleagues, than himself consumed to the grim enemy he had fought. Perhaps the strain had been too great. Dr. Munez made it whisperingly clear, though not in detail, that the methods of healing had been most extraordinary, evolving scenes and processes not welcomed by elderly and conservative Galens. As the weeks passed, I observed with great regret that my new friend was indeed slowly but unmistakably losing ground physically as mrs herrero suggested the livid aspect of his countenance was intensified his voice became more hollow and indistinct his muscular motions were less perfectly coordinated and his mind and will displayed less resilience and initiative of this sad change he seemed by no means unaware and little by little his expression and conversation both took on a gruesome irony which restored in me something of the subtle repulsion I originally felt. He developed strange caprices, acquiring a fondness of exotic spices and Egyptian incense, till his room smelt like the vault of a sepulcher pharaoh in the Valley of Kings. At the same time, his demands for cold air increased, and with my aid, he amplified the ammonia piping in his room and modified the pumps and feed of his refrigerating machine till he could keep the temperatures as low as 34 degrees Fahrenheit or 40 degrees Fahrenheit, and finally even 28 degrees Fahrenheit. The bathroom of the laboratory, of course, being less chilled, in order that the water might not freeze and the chemical process might not be impeded. The tenement adjoining him complained of the icy air from the connecting door. So I helped him fit heavy hangings to obviate, difficulty. A kind of growing horror of outré and morbid cast seems to possess him. He talked of death incessantly, but laughed hollowly when such things as burial or funeral arrangements were gently suggested. All in all, he became a disconcerting and even gruesome companion. Yet in my gratitude for his healing, I could not well abandon him to strangers around him. "'and was careful to dust his room and attend to his needs each day, "'muffled in a heavy ulster, which I brought especially for the purpose. "'I, likewise, did much of his shopping and gasped at the bafflement of some of the chemicals he ordered "'from druggists and laboratory supply houses. "'An increasingly and unexplained atmosphere of panic seemed to arise around his apartment. "'The whole house, as I have said, had a musty odor, but the smell in his room was worse.' And in spite of all the spices and incense and the pungent chemicals of the now-incessant baths which he insists on taking, unaided, I perceived that it must be connected with his ailment, and shuddered when I reflected on what the ailment might be. Mrs. Herrero crossed herself when she looked at him and gave him up unreservedly to me, not even letting her son Esteban continue to run errands for him. When I suggested other physicians, the sufferer would fly into as much rage as he seemed to dare to entertain. He evidently feared the physical effect of violent emotion. Yet his will and driving force waxed, rather than waned. Yet his will and driving force waxed, rather than waned, and he refused to be confined to his bed. lassitude of his earlier ill days gave place to a turn of his fiery purpose. So... That he seemed about to hurl defiance at the death of the demon, even as that ancient enemy seized him. The presence of eating, always curiously like a formality with him, he virtually abandoned, and mental power alone appeared to keep him from total collapse. He acquired a habit of writing long documents of some sort, which he carefully sealed and filled with injections I transmitted after his death to certain persons with whom he named for the most part lettered East Indians, but included a once celebrated French physician now generally thought dead and about whom the most inconceivable things had been whispered. As it happened, I burned all these papers undelivered and unopened. His aspect and voice became utterly frightful and his presence almost unbearable. On September an unexpected glimpse of him induced a epileptic fit in a man who'd come to repair his electric desk lamp. A fit which he prescribed effectively, whilst keeping himself well out of sight. That man, oddly enough, had been through the terrors of the Great War without incurring any fright so thorough. Then, in the middle of October, the horror of horrors came with stupefying suddenness. One night around eleven... The pump of a refrigerating machine broke down, so within three hours, the process of ammonia cooling became impossible. Dr. Munoz summoned me by thumping on the floor, and I worked desperately to repair the injury, while my host cursed in a tone whose lifeless, rattling hollowness surpassed description. My amateur efforts, however, proved to be of no use, and when I brought a mechanic from the neighboring all-night garage we learned that nothing could be done till morning, when a new piston could be obtained. The Morbund hermit's rage and fear, swelling to a grotesque proportion, seemed likely to shatter what remained of his failing physique, and once a spasm caused him to clap his hands to his eyes and rush to the bathroom. He groped his way out with face tightly bandaged, and I never saw his eyes again. The frigidity of his Apartment was now sensibly diminishing. And about 5 a.m., the doctor retired to the bathroom, commanding me to keep him supplied with all the ice I could obtain from all night drug stores and cafeterias. As I would return from my sometime discouraging trips and lay my spoils before the closed bathroom door, I heard him restlessly splashing within, and a thick voice croaked out the order More, more. At length, a warm day broke and the shops opened one by one. I asked Esteban to either help with the ice fetching, uh, whilst I obtain the pump piston, or order the piston while I continued with the ice. But instructed by his mother, he absolutely refused. Finally, I hired a seedy-looking loafer, whom I encountered on the corner of 8th Avenue, to keep the patient supplied with ice from the little shop where I introduced him and applied myself diligently to the task of finding a pump piston and engaging workmen competent to install it. The task seemed interminable, and I raged almost as violently as a hermit did when I saw the hour slipping by in breathless, foodless round of vain telephoning and a heretic quest from place to place, hither and thither, by subway and surface car. About noon, I encountered a suitable supply house far downtown, and at approximately 1.30pm, I arrived to my boarding place with the necessary paraphernalia and two sturdy and intelligent mechanics. I had done all I could and hoped I was in time. Black terror, however, preceded me. The house was in utter turmoil. Above the chattering of odd voices, I heard men praying in deep basso. Fiendish things were in the air, and lodgers told over beads of their rosaries as they caught the odor from beneath the doctor's closed door. The lounger i hire seemed to have fled screaming and mad-eyed not long after a second delivery of ice, perhaps as a result of excessive curiosity. He could not, of course, had locked the door behind him, but it was now fastened, presumably from inside, where no sound save a nameless sort of... Slow, thick dripping. Briefly consulting with Miss Herrero, the workman, despite a fear that gnawed at my innermost soul, I advised the breaking down of the door and the landlady find a way to turn the key from the outside with some, some wired device. We had previously opened the doors of all other rooms in the hall and flung the windows from the very top. Now noses protected by handkerchiefs re tremblingly. We invaded the accursed south room which blazed with the warm sun of early afternoon. A kind of dark, slimy trail led from the open bathroom door to the hall door and hence to the desk, where a terrible little pool had accumulated. Something was sprawled there in pencil, and an awful blind hand on a piece of paper hideously smeared as though the very claws had traced the hurried last words when the trail led to the couch and ended unutterably. What was or what had been, I cannot and dare not say here, but this is what I shiveringly puzzled out on the stickily smeared paper before I drew a match and burnt it to a crisp. What I puzzled out in terror as a landlady and two mechanics rushed frantically from that hellish place to babble their incoherent stories at the nearest police station. The noxious words seemed Well nigh incredible in the yellow sunlight, with the clatter of cars and motor trucks ascending clamorously from crowded 14th street. Yet I confess I believed them then. Whether I believe them now, I honestly do not know. There were things about which it's better not to speculate. And all I can say is that I hate the smell of ammonia and grow faint at the draught of unusually cold air. The End the Norsum's scrawl is here. No more ice. The man looked and ran away, warmer every minute. The tissues can't last. I fancy, you know, what I said about the will and nerves and preserved body after organs ceased to work. It was good in theory, but it couldn't keep up indefinitely. There was a gradual deterioration I had not foreseen. Dr. Torres knew, but the shock killed him. He couldn't stand for what he had to do, and he had me get in a strange, dark place when he minded my litter and nursed me back. The organs never would work again. It had to be done my way. Artificial preservation. For you, see, I died that time 18 years ago.